What's up, everybody? Welcome to Simply Cyber Live, aka the Hot Mess Express. Today is January 12th, and if things look a little different, it's because this is a different platform altogether. Like any good cybersecurity practitioner, I do have business continuity. I have contingency plans, and while I did not want to take advantage of them for um, StreamYard, um, that's where we're at right now. So the look and feel, the vibe, chat's not going to be in the window, which is why I abandoned StreamYard to begin with. Do me a favor, solid uh, thumbs up. If you uh, see people on the old channel, please share this link with them. Let them know what's going on. I'm Jerry Osier. This is Simply Cyber Live, where we bring industry guests on to share their experience, their expertise, their knowledge base. And today I'm wicked pumped to be sharing uh, with you. Where, where's my shared screen, bro? Where, come on now. Like the, Evan Ottinger. It's supposed to be sharing uh, both me and him at the same time, but it's not. Evan and I met at Wild West Hackenfest just a few months ago. He works at TCM Security. He's an awesome guy, incredibly, incredibly talented, smart PNPT holder, one of the original 100 before he even worked for TCM. So they're not just handing those out as part of your compensation package. He's got SANS degrees. He's a web dev. And today we are going to be talking all about what you're getting wrong with AppSec. Now, this is a, this is a topic near and dear to Evan's heart. Um, you know, software goes out the door quick to market and security isn't always baked in, but why is it? And the people who are trying to do it right, what are they getting wrong? We're going to talk to Evan about that. We're also going to talk about all sorts of cool things, maybe about how the GitHub is now doing automatic security checking. What is his thoughts on that? Open source versus closed source. And maybe he can give us a little insider secret, uh, secret talks on Zach Hill and see maybe if we can get some inside scoops on that. So let's go get Evan and have a good time. My man, Evan, what's up? Hey, Jerry. How's it going? It's good, Evan. Thanks for bearing with us uh, through the troubles and the technical difficulties. It wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't be a tech demo, right, without some type of uh, issue or, or uh, kind of failing going on, yeah? Yeah. Live demos are always uh, pretty wonky at best. So. Yeah. So before we dive in, a um, couple of things I wanted to ask you. Are you uh, like a beer drinker, a bourbon drinker? What's your, what's your poison, uh, Evan? Um, I'm not too picky. There's things that I can't drink, but I do prefer bourbon. Um, I do enjoy beer. Uh, I like wine, you know, a little bit of everything. Okay. You're kind of more of like, what does the situation call for kind of guy? Yeah, exactly. I love it. All right. Well then, 
you know, I guess uh, your jack of all trades, much like your <laughs> professional career, would indicate with your experience uh, with Sands Masters, uh, with a, a, a CIS degree from Austin P, um, and now working at TCM. So, what is it about uh, AppSec or Web Dev Sec that uh, appeals to you? Uh, I mean, there's always something new to learn, right? So, um, I get bored pretty easily. So, the rate that the industry advances makes it a exciting field to be in. Um, there's always something new to learn. Um, as soon as you figure out how to secure you know, one vector, somebody finds a new and interesting way to exploit um, another one. So it's just always something to keep up with. Well, yeah. And that's just like the industry too, right? That's for yeah. me personally, that's why I love uh, the cybersecurity industry. Um, so as someone who's responsible for code bases and, you know, uh, you know, basically repos and stuff like that, the way I wanted to start the conversation today was about this story that just came out not too long ago, a couple of days ago, about GitHub adding this feature to automate vulnerability code scanning. Now, I I was over the moon in love with this story. I thought it was a great default feature, one that could certainly help. Uh, but you know what? My GitHub repo has a lot of like PDFs and README files, not a lot of actual compile code. There's a couple of Python programs in there, but I'm certainly not pretending to be a dev. What are your thoughts around GitHub's approach to doing this? And do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, so I actually hadn't heard of this until you sent me the article the other day. Um, I've been pretty much head down focused on working on getting our product at uh, TCM Security ready for launch, mm -hmm. um, which Heath just announced yesterday. So that's uh, been attracting my attention. But I had a chance to look over it. And, you know, the fact that they're setting up something by default to help developers, especially, you know, people who may or may not be professional, um, who are just building tools and hosting them in their GitHub repos, um, giving them a default way to scan their code for, you know, known vulnerabilities and signatures and things like that seems like a good idea to me. Um, within the security field, um, I believe Steve Gibson from uh, the Gibson Research Corp and uh, security now with uh, Leo Lepore. Uh, he coined a phrase that I really like called the tyranny of the default, um, which is basically saying that whatever the, de the default setting is of something is what you can expect users to run with because most users aren't going to ever change the default settings, let alone know that they can. Um, so the fact that they are adding a way to, by default, scan your code for security vulnerabilities, I think is only a good thing. Yeah, and I didn't get into the story too much, but I hope they're not just scanning for like importing weird files. I hope they're looking for, you know, API keys or session tokens or private key or, you know, not just, you know, I guess I don't know the extent of what they're scanning. And I also want to point out that, you know, people can make a huge mistake by saying like, oh, like I don't need to do security because GitHub's got a scanner for me now, like almost kind of get lazy about it. Um, yeah. So definitely, definitely risk with those. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that Microsoft uh, bought GitHub? And, you know, I feel like Microsoft, you know, I don't know how old you are, um, Evan, but, you know, Zach's certainly old enough to know this in, in chat, but Microsoft used to be a joke. Like their security used to be laughable. And then yeah. like maybe five, seven years ago, they really got serious about it. And now Azure and Sentinel and Microsoft Defender and all these things is legit. This GitHub move seems to be in concert with those decisions. Any thoughts around kind of the 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 the, the macro picture of open source code being secure? Yeah, I mean Microsoft has had a vested interest in open source software for years. I mean, if you look at the uh, what was it the Arctic Code Vault um, that they undertook a few years back, where they, for those of you that aren't familiar, they basically bought a or built a Code Vault in. Uh, somewhere like Norway or something, um, mm. somewhere, somewhere cold. And they, um, they found a cave where they backed up basically all of GitHub onto tape um, in case we have like a catastrophic failure in society. That way we have like a record of uh, software and we don't have to start from, you know, square one. Um, I think it's just a continuation of that interest in open source software, uh, especially considering that, you know, the vast majority of projects nowadays are dependent on some variant of open source software. Um, there is a, I believe it's XKCD um, comic that is pretty popular in the software industry. And that's all of this architecture, uh, these big blocks of like, um, you know, 
commercial software and all of it's being held up by this little tiny block of an open source project being thanklessly maintained by a developer in Missouri, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, they definitely have a vested interest in open source software, keeping it secure, ensuring that it, you know, persists even if society doesn't. Um, so with that said, as far as it's related to security, I think that this has more to do with their their co-pilot software than, uh, than um, you know, a vested interest in GitHub per se, just because they have the... Uh, they have the, the massive repository and the massive data set that their co-pilot runs off of to help developers create new software quickly just by um, typing in, you know, high-level English what they want to accomplish. Uh, I think it's kind of the same thing. They've got a pretty good repository of security vulnerabilities um, mm -hmm. for their machine learning uh, model to draw from, and it enables them to scan code for similar vulnerabilities. So why not do it, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I've heard, um, you know, we got some love here for XKCD. Um, and I've heard um, that, you know, so Copilot is basically AI uh, helping you write code. We just saw yesterday, I don't know if you saw this, I know you've been really heads down, but uh, it's being reported that Microsoft has invested $10 billion <laughs> into chat GPT. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, that kind of is in concert with that. It's like the big tech titans are uh, battling, you know, Google, as far as I know, Google doesn't really have a legit good AI solution that I'm aware of right now. So certainly must be concerning for those guys uh, over there. Uh, you know, back to that open source thing, this is an article from uh, January 18th, 2022. So just about a year ago, there were some big waves when, um, the public private sector engaged each other and came out of the white house and basically your google amazon apple microsoft all agreed to invest money invest resources into securing open source software and i think that this really came hot on the heels of log4j and like kind of exposing how like you said you've got this huge you know tech stack and then the little you know the little log4j module with three three developers who are just you know doing it for the love of of the code so you know you, you mentioned those the vault right yeah all i could think of is like society collapses the the machines win or whatever or like whatever uh and they slowly start rebuilding and they realize that like <laughs> when github was backed up it was like backed up to jazz drive or something or you know what i mean like or zip drives you know like they, yeah. they don't have the you know they don't have the interface um to, to to actually pull the data off pull the memory off it just making me think of that either that or it's like do you i don't know evan how old are you do you mind me asking uh 32 32 yeah. you might not be old enough for this but way back in the day when things came on like um one and a quarter discs yeah. like you'd need like 15 of them to install like anything so yeah. i'm just thinking like github's repo is like seven thousand you know one and a quarter floppies <laughs> Believe it or not, I'm old enough to have owned a copy of the internet on floppy disk. So oh, I love it. I yeah. love it. And I'm saying one and a quarter. Was it three and a quarter? Am I getting that wrong? I feel like one and a quarter is too small. Maybe three and a quarter, five and a half. You know, off the top of my head, I don't remember. I haven't used a floppy disk in a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> we'll have to ask Zach. Zach's uh, actually uh, commenting on how lovely that hat is in the background there. So there you go. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so getting back to AppSec and, you know, writing good code, like what, what is the main reason? Like why is software in your opinion, not secure? Like, like what's the big problem? Why are people doing it wrong? Or, or why is the industry not got it yet? Well, um, <laughs> that's the question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's a factor or it's, it's the product of several factors. One of them is that we simply... Well, one, security is hard, right? Um, there's so many ways that you can attack a piece of software and there's only one way that you can write it securely and still accomplish what it has to do, um, you know, typically. So what you wanna do is you wanna write software that explicitly does what it's supposed to do and also explicitly does not do what it's not supposed to do. And that's just, if you think about it, just a very large number of, uh, it's almost like a spectrum of uh, edge cases that you have to consider. And 
invariably you're going to overlook one or two ways that somebody could abuse something even if you're you know the, the high or if you've got the best training in the world like you're going to overlook an edge case um especially when you're writing custom business logic and things like that mm-hmm. um the other thing is that they simply don't really teach security to developers so for example um like in my undergraduate uh security was mentioned in passing in my development classes i was also you know i did double concentration in systems development and uh information assurance and security so this, the security classes were focused on security and then the development classes were focused on development and like they didn't meet in the middle anywhere um so you know we we got shown small things like how you can do a like a stored cross-site scripting attack in php as an example of like why you need to um you know sanitize user input but they didn't really they didn't really do a great job of showing in depth like what could really go wrong if somebody attacks your website and you have these vulnerabilities sitting around so it's just not a consideration the consideration is how can i get this function how can i get this feature out the door and produce income for our company like that's that's ultimately the focus so it's almost it's so much the product what was that? Straight cash, homie. It's Randy Moss. At- oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like capitalism at its finest, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's very much a capitalist issue where, you know, the business folk, like, the, you know, we want to sit around and research interesting features and build things that nobody's ever built before. Like, that's what we want to do. But we also have to keep the lights on and put food on the table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, like the, the push to move toward agile, push toward iterative development, um, I think is overall a good thing. But like at the end of the day, what you're getting is you're getting these developers who don't know everything about security that they need to know. They haven't had the training, the education, what what have you. They're just completing tickets and they have to do a certain amount of tickets in a certain amount of time and get those features out in production so that they earn income for the, for the company they work for. Mm. So. Yeah, I mean, it really is, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Dr. Ross Anderson out of Cambridge uh, really, really put it well um, in his paper, Informa- Why Information Security is Hard. And it's basically uh, economics. It's simple economics, right? If you um, if you don't get to market, then you're not going to make any money. And it doesn't matter how secure your product is. It doesn't, no one's, no one's going to give a crap because you're going to go out of business. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, uh, and this is the one that frustrates me, right? Um, to take something that you just talked about, dark mode, okay? Uh, he talked about it uh, while we were trying to go on the other one. So dark mode, dark mode's a feature that everybody loves, at least uh, everybody that I talk to loves. <laughs> and uh, so you have some developer time, agile. Uh, you're doing a sprint cycle. You've got four points to spend and you can spend it on dark mode or you can spend it on doing use case testing for fringe cross-site scripting. Well, let's look at which one's actually marketable, right? Mm-hmm. If you make a blog post about, hey, everybody, want to want to let you know we got this new technology that's out and um, guaranteed not to be cross-site scripting or like strong, strongly unlikely to be cross-site scripting, and people are like, oh, all right, whatever. And then you're like, oh, we got dark mode over here. People are like, yeah, dark mode. So, you know, it, 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 there's a perverse incentive to the consumer uh, because they assume it's secure anyways, whereas the engineering and time and effort energy to implement and or design, implement and test um, cost time and money and resources. And only the big ones, frankly, your Microsoft, your Google, your Amazon, the ones who can throw money at problems are the ones who can do it well you know, even Microsoft with all of their capital, you know, they get, they get abused regularly. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, so what do you, what do you think about, you know, to that point then about like open source versus closed source, right? So closed source, you know, you have it in house, a little bit more money, capital to work on open source, you know, it's kind of a free for all. And we've seen a lot of threat actors recently abuse the, machinations of open source software to embed malware. So where, where do you stand on open versus closed? Uh, I mean, really, they're two sides of the same coin. Um, a lot of closed source software, like I mentioned earlier, is still dependent. It's got dependencies on uh, open source software. So um, I think 
they're both good in their own way. Like closed source software gives you the ability to um, have intellectual property that you can market and sell, which is necessary in a capitalist system like we have. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas open source software has to, I mean, they still have to pay the bills and keep the lights on. So they typically rely on volunteer hours of other people and um, they rely on donations. Mm -hmm. um, the main difference and the reason that a lot of people say that open source code, it tends to be better or whatever is because um, you get more eyes on the product and, mm -hmm. or yeah, at least on the, on the code base. And so you have more people who, who are able to find vulnerabilities and fix them. Um, I'm a little bit hesitant to believe that because I haven't seen any data on that myself, uh, but I have read it in textbook, so it must be true, right? Uh, it's official. It's like seeing it on the internet. So, dude, yeah. let let let's uh, let's take a, a a brief pause here on the AppSec. I, I, some current events. I, I'd love your thoughts because you really are a thoughtful individual and very you know deliberate with what you say, like. Twitter on fire and then the migration to Mastodon, like good for information security and why? Or, you know, the dumpster fire and, you know, who cares? Let, let the world burn. What are your thoughts um, on the whole Twitter burning down and Mastodon rising? You know, it's kind of it's kind of sad. Like, you don't want to see Twitter burning down because that's where, especially in InfoSec, like that's where I literally got the job that I have for TCM security through Twitter. Um, that's how I met, you know, Joe, that's how I met Heath. Um, I don't think I met Zach on Twitter, but uh, you, you kind of get my drift. Um, you definitely saw him on Twitter. He, he's all up in Twitter. Yeah, I, I definitely saw him, but I don't think we, we didn't meet. We met um, once I actually started at the company, but uh, you know, so it's kind of sad to see it burn down like that. But at the same time, um, there was that disturbing trend of the internet where um, you know, in the beginning, the internet was created as a way to exchange information, right? So mm -hmm. it was supposed to be free and open for everybody. And you could just get on there and you could share whatever information you had with whoever was on the other end of the pipe. Um, unfortunately, it didn't take very long in the 90s for people to figure out how to monetize that. And then that's where we saw like the dot-com boom and the dot-com bubble and the inevitable burst. And then from the ashes of the dot-com uh, bubble, we had a few companies who figured out that the money wasn't in owning a domain name. It was in um, actually accumulating and mining user data and selling that to advertisers. That's where the money was at in the internet. So what happened was those companies became monolithic um, and they, they got huge. And then they started attracting more and more users because, you know, your friends were on Facebook, your friends were on whatever platform. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you started using it. And that's kind of how Twitter happened too. Um, till eventually you had the internet become basically five websites and all they were were just screenshots of conversations happening on the other websites, the other four. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Do I think it's good as a whole to see Twitter burn down? Probably, because if it weren't for that, um, you know, you never would have heard of the Fediverse, which was a pretty new concept for me whenever uh, the negotiations between Elon and the, the board of directors at Twitter started happening. Um, and I think that the ultimately the Fediverse is probably the original idea for the internet reimagined, where everything is it's no longer a walled garden. It's just... Uh, individual oasises where people can choose whether or not they want to mingle with other communities. And I think mm -hmm. that that's, um, that's a good thing at the end of the day. Will it make money? No, <laughs> that's the problem. That's why it won't, you know, it probably won't go as mainstream with most people as, you know, the companies that have all the money to advertise and draw in new users and then monetize those users just by existing. So. Yeah, I know. I don't know if it's Mastodon in general or if it's the InfoSec Exchange admin. I think it's the guy behind Mastodon, but he was approached uh, by what to me was like an insultingly low offer, like $500,000 to to buy Mastodon or something stupid. And uh, he, 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 he declined the offer and said that he would never sell Mastodon. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the line is in the sand as far as... Um, you know, as far as that goes, we'll, we'll see. Time will tell, right? I yeah. mean, every, everybody's got a number, right? I, I, I hate to say it. Like, you can be, I mean, not 
there some people maybe not but like you know if, if they said hey i'll give you a billion dollars like you know what i mean at that point or you know 500 million dollars or whatever so we'll see but that's what the deal is um you know neon nomad wants to know what mastodon room they recommend i mean to me as far right. as i know infosec exchange is pretty much where i see the infosec community um coalescing you know i don't know if you've been jumping around different servers uh evan but you know what are your thoughts around uh, mastodon spaces to, to check out so i'm familiar with um obviously infosec.exchange that's the one that i'm on there's also hackyderm.io which i guess is a play on words for like pachyderm um, um and then mastodon.social are the ones that i've seen people move from twitter to um i haven't really done much to explore other servers beyond that and that mm -hmm. i think that's frankly because of the fact that mastodon lacks the algorithm that twitter has to keep you engaged Mm -hmm. um, so I usually just pop in there every now and then just to see, you know, what my friends or, you know, um, people in the industry are up to. And then I, you know, read the update and then I hop off. If I have something to share, I do. Um, but I don't really spend a whole lot of time digging on there personally, which I think it's it's been good for me, honestly, spending less time uh, doing that sort of thing. Yeah, disconnecting. I, I love it. Like, well, so are you um, are you a TikTok user? Uh, no, not really. No. Okay. Well, I mean, you want to talk about an app that like you, you just mentioned, it doesn't have the algorithm to keep you engaged. Like TikTok is like the opposite of that. It's, it's yeah. insane what they're accomplishing over there. Yeah. That's why I'm kind of afraid of it. Um, yeah. I don't want to, yeah. I don't really want to get sucked into something that I can just scroll forever. Um, you know, yeah, doom scroll. Uh, yeah. We do have a question, uh, and guys, drop your comments in chat. I can't bring the chat onto stage, but if you have any questions for Evan about anything we're talking about, we're focusing on AppSec. But I do, I do mm -hmm. like getting to know uh, the guests and and bring them to to you. So like everybody gets to know Evan that way. When we run into him at a con, we can be like, Evan. <laughs> Carrie wants to know. Uh, he's got a Linux box, okay, and he wants mm -hmm. to know from an AppSec perspective if he can. Uh, anything you can do kind of on a Linux box to get some AppSec skills? Um, sure. I mean, one thing you could do, uh, you can spin up a juice box instance from OWASP. And what, what that is, is it's a intentionally vulnerable web app. And um, that's a good way to practice uh, exploiting vulnerabilities. And then, um, you know, through extension of that, you can learn how to help mitigate them through uh, improving, you know, code. Um, it's also, it's gamified, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, that's it. Um, it runs in containers. It can run this on is it right here? server. Yeah, that's it. Yep, pretty good project. I actually um, have a, a, I have a video on the, on Simply Cyber on how to set up Juice Shop uh, on a Raspberry Pi, but it's pretty much yeah. the same thing. So uh, you yeah. were saying, Evan? No, I mean, that's a great way to get started on Linux just because it, it can run in containers or it can run on like an Apache server, I believe. So you can you can spin that up pretty easily on a Linux box. Um, the other thing would be, I'd probably say for getting started, try HackMe. Um, some of their web development room, or, you know, AppSec rooms, they're related to web app security. Uh, and then there's, of course, um, what is it? The Port Swigger Academy. And they, oh, yeah. Yeah, Portsmouth Academy is great. It walks you through the OWASP top 10, and then they teach you how to use, you know, Burp Suite, which is one of the most common tools for uh, web app pen testing. Yep. And Burp will work on Linux. It will. And then if you are Burp averse for whatever reason, there's always the Zap, uh, Zap proxy, Z, Z, Z attack proxy, I think, from OWASP. Yeah, it's OWASP, Z Zap attack, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, what the acronym ZAP is, right? Is, like, um, is it an acronym? Proxy. Yeah, I, I believe, yeah. Um, Those are all great options, dude. Like, nailing it. Yeah. Perfect, uh, perfect yeah. I love that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's free. It's open source, you know. Um, I mean, to that uh, effect, we have a course about uh, its entry-level um, web application penetration testing taught by Taggart. Well, let's take a look. Yeah, he uses the Zap tool for this instead of Burp because it's free and open source. Right here, practical web application from Michael Taggart. 
Yep, great course. Um, I had the pleasure of keywaying it, and it was wonderful. Well, there you go. There's a, hopefully, Carrie, that uh, answers a bunch of your questions. Just because you're on a Linux box doesn't mean that it has to be all like CL or all command line, all um, terminal shell. Like you can do a whole bunch of other great stuff, especially around AppSec. Um, mm -hmm. So ni nice, nicely done. Um, we had a couple other questions in here. Um, Eric wants to know, like, what kind of challenges do you encounter when you're developing security, balancing performance versus, you know, security? Um, surprisingly, almost none. Um, which sounds weird, but from like a web app perspective, uh, a secure website almost runs better than an insecure one because you're you're mitigating some of the rudimentary threats like um, you know denial of service attacks stuff like that mm -hmm. um, because availability is you know it's part of the cia triad that's part of security your website needs to be available or it's not secure so that's something that you have to factor in um, and that includes performance so you want to make sure that you know you're not tying up so most most web servers are single threaded so they can only run one process at a time you want to make sure you're not tying up the thread you want to make sure that you don't let somebody, um, you know, capitalize on that single thread. So you want to offload as much of the heavy work as you can to the background, things like that. Um, so in my experience, uh, it, it seems to me that the more secure website is, the, the more performant it is as well. There are caveats to that. If you're running, you know, expensive, uh, cryptography, cryptography algorithms, things mm -hmm. like that. If you're running crypto miners on, on the on the server <laughs> no 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 when i say crypto i'm never talking about bitcoin i can promise yeah. you that so lena has a really good question for now guys i told you in the intro or at least i think i did evan holds the practical network penetration tester which i desperately have a life goal to get um so he's taking a bunch of the courses he works at tcm security lane what is your favorite TCM course? And I'm going to go ahead and I, I, I just want to, before you answer, I'm showing the courses online. I do want to point out that you don't have to say the definitive GRC analyst masterclass. <laughs> okay. So, you know, like th that's out there. Okay. Yeah. So, so which, which one did you really enjoy? Um, so I haven't had the chance to do all of them, believe it or not. <laughs> because I mean, frankly, we've just been adding so many uh, recently, like in the last year or so. Um, I will the ones say, you have done, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the ones that I have done, honestly, I, I really like the web application one mm -hmm. by Taggart of the original ones that Heath did. My favorite ones are probably the privesque ones though. They were just very fun for me to do. Um, you know, privilege escalation being learning how to get, you know, from a standard user, uh, to root or system privileges on a machine. Uh, those were a lot of fun for me to go through. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Uh, I, I've personally only done the OSINT, the practical ethical hacking, and, you know, obviously the GRC analyst one. Um, but, you know, great time, good experience. Uh, Lane has a follow-up question. What's your favorite course and why is it the GRC analyst masterclass? I mean, I think that that's a totally <laughs> fair question. Um, so um, this is a great question from Harish Kumar, uh, also winner of the raffle prize this morning on the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. Congratulations, Harish. Um, what's a typical day look like for you, man, or in, in, in AppSec? Yeah. Um, so I'm very thankful to have a lot of freedom with how I operate at work. Um, because I'm not customer facing or client facing at the moment. Uh, so my, uh, my days vary and my schedule is pretty flexible, but like within that flexibility, I typically follow a, a pretty standard routine, which is I, I run the development shop at TCM security using scrum. Um, so what that looks like for those of you that aren't aware, it's, it's a framework based off of the agile, um, development mm -hmm. principles where essentially you have a, you have an end state in mind for a product. They call that the MVP, the minimum viable product. You break that up into user stories. Um, and then each user story gets assigned to a sprint based on priority. Um, and then you iterate through the sprints, which are generally two week periods. I do two weeks. And then, um, 
from there, once you arrive at the minimum viable product, you launch the product. So a typical day for me, um, it's based on where we're at in the sprint. Monday mornings, I'm usually updating tickets, getting ready for my team meeting uh, with Heath and um, his assistant, uh, Julia, uh, who's wonderful, um, but she doesn't, she doesn't face outwardly a whole lot. So if you mm -hmm. ever see her, be sure to say hi. She's awesome. Um, so I meet with them. Um, basically, I just tell them, you know, what I've been working on, what I got done in the last sprint, show them some metrics, and then like we discuss where we want the product to go from there, um, making sure that our priorities are still aligned. And then uh, from there, the, I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road and we just start churning out, well, I say we, I start churning out tickets. Um, I have had another developer, Alex Olson, who runs a AppSec uh, channel on Twitch. I can't think of the name offhand. I think Zach might know it. Yeah, if Zach's um, in here, I'll, I'll look for it too. Yeah. Um, so during our QA period over the past couple of months, we've basically just been digging through the web app. Um, we've had our penetration testers digging through the web app and looking for every vulnerability that we could find. And then they report them to me. Um, you know, it follows the same process as like churning out features. We just create tickets based off of the vulnerabilities and the, you know, getting them fixed. And then we prioritize them and then we just add them to sprints. Um, and then, you know, somebody, literally somebody just picks up a ticket, they add it to their workload for the sprint and then they just churn it out. And then the, uh, the penetration testing team will, or whoever found the vulnerability, they'll uh, validate that the vulnerability was fixed by the, the feature update. So it's yeah. really just this iterative project. Zach's saying that Alex Olson will be generating new content um, for yes. TCM. I was, I was going to ask you if you've um, flirted with creating content for TCM as a course content creator. Um, I like the idea. I I have a lot of work to do before I'm there, though. Um, for one thing, I just don't have the time right now. Um, mm -hmm. When I do have the time, I'd love to do like a software engineering course or something like that. Um, kind of build in all the, the web app sec. Um, you know, functionality into the course. For example, like I'd like to structure the course in the format of like Scrum or something like that so that you can get used to working that way. Um, and then just teaching like not so much development skills, but how to actually be ready day one to start a job as a junior uh, web developer. That's super useful. I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. TCM, TCM Academy, it, it really is kind of uh, slowly expanding its scope in, in a good way, you know. Yeah, they're moving, yeah, they're broadening the scope is a good way to put it. Um, we're expanding from just solely security-based uh, content outward toward generalized IT. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they go hand in hand. So um, there was a really good question from Aaron KG in here that I wanted your thoughts on. ChatGPT is nuclear hot right now. Um, it can write code. We've seen it write malware. We've seen it write, um, you know, Sigma rules, EDR detection rules. You know, I, there's people claiming on YouTube that they, you know, you can write a full SaaS application, make six figures, all with ChatGPT. What are your thoughts on the future of AppSec with AI as a tool out there and people with zero skill <laughs> basically able to create code? Um, I would say take that with a grain of salt, honestly. Uh, the people that are putting out these videos and stuff, they're doing it for the the views and, you know, the likes. Mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of, it feeds the, the FUD loop, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt where you're saying, hey, there's this tool out and it's AI and it's going to completely eradicate the need for knowledge workers. And I simply don't, I don't believe that is true. Um, I say that coming from the background of having worked with ChatGPT as a kind of a replacement for like my rubber ducky, if uh, if you're familiar with the term. Mm -hmm. um, so in development, you have rubber ducky debugging, which is, it can be any inanimate object, but usually developers have like a rubber ducky or like an action figure or something on their desk. And they just talk through problems with that. And so instead of doing that with a rubber ducky, I've been doing it with ChatGPT. Um, and I've found that it, it's useful for research, especially when you don't know exactly what you're researching. If you have a problem and you don't know the right Google search query, for example, it can help you peel back the layers of the problem and find 
what you need to Google, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, yeah, like it, like it, it, it expedites, expedites. It makes yeah. things go faster. Yeah. Um, as far as writing web apps, I have experimented a little bit with having it, you know, trying to implement some of the things that I was working on just, just to get an example in my mind and, um, you know, go from there as far as like actually implementing it, uh, within the, the constraints of the tools that I was working with. So, mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's there yet. Uh, it's not built to be a software development tool though. That's the caveat. What it is, is it's a human language or high level, uh, human language chat tool. Um, the fact that it can write these, you know, like he said, Sigma rules or, um, you know, any software whatsoever is interesting, but it's not the core function of it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I don't see it being there yet. A lot of times the, for example, stack overflow has banned posts from, you know, chat GPT, you can't generate an answer in chat GPT and go post it on stack overflow. Reason being a lot of it, uh, is just incorrect. And if you ask it to write the same thing multiple times, it'll write it differently every time. Um, yeah. It's just, it's not quite there yet. It, yeah, a lot of the information it's given me has been wrong too. And I've had to, you know, really drill down to figure out, you know, what was wrong and why. So I just, uh, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not so much on the doom and gloom side of the discussion <laughs> with ChatGPT. I'm more, you know, I think it, I think it's useful. And I think people that learn how to work, you know, symbiotically with uh ai are gonna 10x their productivity or whatever you want to say but i just i don't see no the need for knowledge work going away right you're still gonna need people to know whether or not the code that it turns out is correct yeah exactly exactly i you know somebody a, a colleague i was talking to the other day said like he's like dude he's like when intrusion detection systems came out 15 years ago people were like oh we won't need sock analysts anymore because nothing's getting through and it's like Nothing changed, no. you know. It's just yeah. it's just another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Um, uh, rapid fire lightning round question, Jess Bishop, give us your favorite coding language. Uh, probably Python. Yeah. Nice. I like <laughs> that. I saw John Hammond earlier today say he picked up picked up a Rust book for the holidays. See if he could yeah. get into that. Um, Rust is probably next on the list for something I'd want to learn. Yeah. Cool. Priya's got a really good question. What's the roadmap, man? Take a developer to AppSec. Ooh, um, I don't know. <laughs> because okay. I, I say that because I didn't really purposefully wind up in AppSec. I just, I was a web developer who learned security and they kind of just intersect. And um, through necessity more than anything else, I find myself implementing uh, security because I'm typically either the only web developer on a team that I work on, or I'm one of a few. Mm -hmm. um, so I just kind of had to learn. Um, as far as roadmaps go, I'd say if you're a developer, like you're already nine tenths of the way there, the other, you know, 10th of the step is probably just learning your OWASP top 10 and mitigating that, um, learning what tools are out there, code scanners, static and dynamic code scanners. Um, I'd say it starts to bleed into DevSecOps quite a bit because you're going to be needing to implement, um, you know, tests and scans and stuff into your code pipeline most likely, if you're at any sort of a mature shop, um, things like that. Okay. Yeah. It sounds sounds good. It sounds like just keep grinding and keep refining the dev role and uh, be mindful of security stuff. Makes yeah. sense. I like it. I'm, I'm looking through chat right now. Chat's given a lot of great, a great conversations in here with themselves. Um, what was I, I, I had a, oh gosh, you know what, what I guess I want to share this uh, on stage with everybody. So this is Evan's own page, evanodinger.com. Uh, and I love that it's a software developer with a passion for cybersecurity because I also have a passion for cybersecurity, like pr probably unhealthy passion for cybersecurity. <laughs> But I see your blog here. I mean, do you want to, like, is this an active blog you maintain? I'd love to share it with everybody. Yeah, I maintain that. Um, I don't, I don't write on there a whole lot, but whenever I do make something or if I do research something that I haven't found a good answer for, um, I, I typically will write a blog up and put something out there. Cool. Yeah. So check that out, guys. Uh, obviously, his PNPT is here. 
uh, retrospective as a pinned article. I'll definitely be reviewing that when I'm when I'm ready to become a a, a real boy and yeah. uh, get get my PNPT. It's it's a 2023 goal. We'll see how it goes. Make sure you use my affiliate links while you're at it, Jerry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So Evan, can I share your LinkedIn? Is that is that something that's that's fine. Um, so here's Evan on LinkedIn. Connections, but uh, you're welcome to follow me. There you go. I'll drop this in chat too. Evan, like I said earlier to you guys in chat, um, you know, Evan's a very thoughtful guy, very deliberate in what he's saying. So definitely, definitely appreciate that. A LinkedIn user said, when is the first lesson? I'm not sure what they're referring to. Maybe you're, you're doing lessons. Uh, is that something that's on the roadmap? I'm not sure. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So a LinkedIn user, I'm not sure, uh, it, you know, subscribe to his blog and you'll find a blog post possibly about upcoming lessons. Um, yeah. yeah. So let me One see real thing that I would, if you don't mind, I'd like to yeah. plug. Yeah. Um, Please. So I am local to, to central Virginia. Um, and I recently started co-organizing Fredericksburg hackers with Tinkersack and malware. Um, Is there a webpage for that? Yeah. It's fxbghackers.com. So if you're, if you're in the Virginia, you know, Richmond, uh, DC area, and you want to come out, we meet the first Wednesday every month at um, Red Dragon Brewery. And it's just really chill format, much like this show. Um, come out, watch Fire Talks, give Fire Talks, have a beverage. Um, this is cool. I like it. So in person, and it's where in Virginia? Fredericksburg. Fredericksburg. Okay. So yeah. if you're in the, the Beltway, right? I mean, that you can kind of get there, right? Yeah, we're right off the Beltway. Um, near the train station, um, about an hour between Richmond and an hour, you know, south of DC. So we're right in the middle there, kind of a, a central hub. I love it. And you guys got your own discord server here, your own Twitter account. So definitely go check that out. Y'all. Uh, if you're in that, in that kind of beltway area, how often are you meeting once a month? Oh yeah. Once first Wednesday of every month. Okay. Yeah. So We've you guys had... met, you meet yesterday? Uh, no, we met last week. Oh yeah. The fourth. The fourth. Yeah. We, uh, We've had a pretty good turnout. It's been somewhere around, uh, somewhere between 25 and 50 people show up to each meetup and we're just oh. over six months. So I'd say we're, we're pretty well established at this point. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice and healthy. That's not like overwhelming where the taverns, like you guys can't come here anymore. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, guys. So we're getting close to time here. Apologies to Evan and to chat for the technical difficulties on getting getting up and running. I'm glad we had a, a contingency plan. The The GRC risk nerd in me is very proud of my contingency planning uh, skills. But um, yeah, you know, as, as usual, Evan, I would love to give you the floor for a minute or so to have any final thoughts you want to share with the chat. I definitely appreciate you being here today and sharing your experience, sharing your stories with us, and really inspiring a lot of people uh, with AppSec and you know TCM and, and just all the great things you're doing. It's fantastic. So the floor is yours, sir. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pleasure to be here, Jerry. Um, one final thought. I uh, <laughs> I guess I told Zach that I would share this with the crowd, but um, whatever you do, if you're applying for a job, interviewing, whatever, I'm just urging you not to admit to felonies that you've never uh, been caught for when you're uh, applying or interviewing for a job. That's that's no good. So don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I don't really have any other final thoughts here. So your, your final thought is to not, to not, not disclose a felony when applying for a job. No, no, no. Do not disclose a felony that you've never been caught for. <laughs> if you're, Oh, applying, oh, oh, you're oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you haven't been caught for it, I mean, it, was it, was it really a felony? I mean, I dude. <laughs> all right. It's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting ethical question. You know, like the tree falls, doesn't make a noise. If you don't get caught, is it a felony? Because I mean, a felony is honestly a social construct of a society, right? right. It's, you know what I mean? Like an action in one society is felonious, might be totally acceptable in another or perceived as not an issue. So it's all context and perspective. So I think if you don't get caught with a felony, you're not actually you wouldn't there's no reason to not disclose it because you know maybe you didn't actually do it the thing is if you're applying for a role that's uh an ethical hacker role um we 
you know, it's probably a red flag if you uh, if you commit felonies and then you brag about it to uh, oh. to the employer as like, you know, I used to do this and I never got caught, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, I mean, like weird flex, uh, but we can't hire you because, you know, you need clearance or whatever. Um, don't do that. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Like, I, I'm yeah. being ridiculously playful and... Uh, I, yeah, I... I yeah but uh yeah no 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 yeah if you're if you're um talking about how you're basically a criminal um you're definitely not gonna get the trust of your employer potential employer like oh yeah come on come on board and get inside access to all the systems and you know how we do things here that that sounds like a great win so yeah. <laughs> exactly um, cool man all right well let me let me do this i normally uh do this with you off stage but because because of all the things and because you've been so wonderful, I would love to have you here with me as I do this. Let me sure. do this, guys. Uh, genuinely appreciate our guest, Evan Ottinger, being here today. You, you straight crushed it. Like like every other TCM security uh, person that's come on, Matt Kiley, um, Zach Hill, Heath himself, Evan. I'm slowly working my way through the whole company. So uh, I'll reach out to your HR people yeah. and see. What'd you say her name was? Julie? she the oh uh she's she's he's julia she's the executive assistant for he yeah no she, yeah she she said she doesn't get out much. yeah she doesn't she's not outward facing much but maybe we get her on the show and, and get some inside dirt on heath right <laughs> so guys i just want to remind you tomorrow morning at 8 a.m eastern time i do uh a daily cyber threat briefing every morning at 8 a.m uh with you know put an asterisk on that because of tuesdays and thursdays while i'm teaching but uh come Get the top cybersecurity news of the day and my opinion and thoughts on each of those stories on how you can operationalize them at work. Um, and it's just great networking. Evan, we have about 230 people on average that attend the morning briefing now live in chat. So it's it gets pretty rowdy in there. It's a good time. Yeah, I, I pop in every now and then, but I'm more of a lurker than a, than a chatter. Oh, okay. Well, say hi uh, <laughs> next time you're in there and then you can go, you can creep back under the rock or whatever. So, Will do. all right. Hey, everybody. Thanks uh, so much for all of your time today. I genuinely appreciate it. Um, this has been Simply Cyber Live. We're here every Thursday at 4.30 p.m. with industry guests. I hope you enjoyed today's stream. If you did, come back next week and we'll have another banger for you. Take care. And until next time, stay secure.